Welcome to our evening worship. If you'd stand with me, we will hear our call to worship from Psalm 65, verses 1 through 4. Praise is due to you, O God, in Zion, and to you shall vows be performed. O you who hears prayer, to you shall all flesh come. Please prevail against me. You atone for our transgressions. Blessed is the one you choose and bring near to dwell in your courts. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house, the holiness of your temple. Let us pray. Father, thank you for calling us into your courts. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. Would you bless us with a sense of your presence this night? Would you fill us with your spirit that we might offer you the praise that you are due, the glory due your name, and that we might worship you in spirit and truth. For we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Our opening hymn is number 634. 634, Sweet Hour of Prayer. And you may be seated.
We'll now have our Old Testament reading, which is Isaiah 26, verses 1 through 6. Isaiah 26, starting in verse 1. In that day, this song will be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. He sets up salvation as walls and bulwarks. Open the gates that the righteous nation that keeps faith may enter it. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord God is an everlasting rock, for he has humbled the inhabitants of the height, the lofty city. He lays it low, lays it low to the ground, casts it to the dust. The foot tramples it, the feet of the poor, the steps of the needy. And this ends this reading of God's word. We'll now enter into a time of prayer, and I'm going to ask Elder Charlie McCool to uh, begin us, and after that, if anyone feels led uh, to pray, you're, you're welcome to out, or you can just pray silently in your seats. I'll end our time uh, by praying myself. So with that, let us pray.
let our request be known to you and that the peace of Christ that passes all understanding will be granted to us. Thank you, Father, for uh, the assurance that we have day by day as we look to Jesus in Christ's name. Father, we just come as a grateful people tonight. Um, we come as a needy people. I often think of the words of the psalmist who pictured himself like a baby bird opening his mouth that he might be fed by his mother. And so we come to you dependent to be fed, dependent upon you to meet our needs, dependent upon you to bear us up on eagle's wings as, as we walk through this life. I think particularly tonight of our shut-ins and our widows and ask that you would be merciful to each of them. Uh, there are folks who aren't able to be here regularly and some not at all who have still meant a great amount to the life of this church throughout the decades and who still mean a great deal to this church and the ministry of this body. So I want to Lift them up to you and pray that you would be merciful to them, that you would be near to them, that you would continue to use us who are able to be here week in, week out to still reach out and minister to them. Also mindful of families in this church and the various trials and temptations that we all face in this brave new world of technology and ask that you'd continue to build up and strengthen our families, not for the sake of the family it, itself because we all we know the our ultimate purpose is to be the bride of Christ but as we serve as witnesses to you in this world help us to be strong witnesses who can lean upon you find our wisdom and our guidance in you and can trust in Christ to bring us through the, the pressures and the troubles of life also want to pray tonight father just as we as Charlie's already alluded to and as we read from Isaiah that the scripture says that you keep those in perfect peace who trust in you and we confess that we don't always experience that type of peace not, not only do we not always experience that type of peace and we rarely experience that type of peace and that's part of why we're here tonight you don't need anything from us you are eternal you're all-powerful. You're all-sufficient. You need nothing from us. We need everything from you. All we can offer you is our praise and our thanksgiving and our hearts and our lives. But still, you have so much to give to us as we worship you. So I want to pray tonight uh, for those who are particularly troubled in heart this day, that you would minister to them and meet their spiritual and emotional needs and build them up in the faith. And lastly, Father, we confess that we are sinners, uh, that we are deserving of your displeasure without hope except by your sovereign mercy. And so we throw ourselves on your mercy knowing that you delight to forgive sin, that you are more ready to hear than we are to pray, that you're more ready to forgive than we are to confess. And so we pray have mercy on us, sinners, and minister to us as we close out this Lord's Day together and receive glory from our worship. For we ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, as we receive tonight's offering,
Uh, we'll also sing together hymn number 679, which is, Tis So Sweet to Trust in Jesus. I invite you to turn with me now to our New Testament reading, which is Philippians 4, verses 6 through 7. Before I read it, let me pray for us. Father, we don't underestimate the privilege, or at least we do not want to underestimate the privilege we have to open up your word and study it together. Not only did you take great care in inspiring and preserving 
these scriptures, but many of our forebears in the faith took great care, even at the cost of their own lives, to make sure that these scriptures could be delivered to us in our own language. And so we bless you and praise you for this and pray now that you would minister to us through your word, build us up through your word, and grant us hope of eternal life in Jesus Christ through your word. For we ask this in his name. Amen. Philippians 4, verses 6 through 7. Hear the word of God. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And this ends the reading of God's word. We are continuing our Sunday evening series on dealing with spiritual slumps. Uh, it, that will be coming to an end. I have two more sermons in this series after that, so we're nearing the end. But as we continue, uh, we're following Martin Lloyd-Jones's book, or the outline of Martin Lloyd-Jones's book, Spiritual Depression, Its Causes and Cures. Uh, so the outline is his, though I'm not closely following his material. These, the material is more mine. And as we work through that outline tonight, we're going to talk about anxiety and the peace of God. Paul says, do not be anxious. So the King James Version translates that, do not be careful, that is full of cares. Don't care too much. There is a such thing as caring too much or caring too much about things we shouldn't care as much about. Martin Lloyd-Jones in his book defines it this way. He says, careful means full of care. That means full of anxiety, harassing care, nervous solicitude. I thought that was interesting. And tending to brood or to ponder over things. I had to look up the word solicitude because it's not one that we use very often now. Uh, and it's a word that carried has been carried over from Latin to French to English for anxiety. And we still use it for people who are asking for money or trying to sell something. We call them solicitors. And we don't like soliciting. Why? Well, because solicitors are interrupting you. They're bothering you. They're making demands from you that you really don't want to meet, and you'd rather them just go away. And Lloyd-Jones is saying, commenting on Paul, that anxiety is like a solicitor. It shows up at your door, and it wants to aggravate you. And we're so prone to give in to this soliciting when it comes to anxiety, we actually invite it in and, and say, make yourself at home. Stay as long as you want. So Paul is saying, turn the solicitor away. You need a no soliciting sign on your heart and mind when it comes to anxiety. You need to refuse to let anxiety show up and harass and worry you. Easier said than done. Right? You know, I always say if a preacher talks about something all the time, just know that they struggle with it. I've talked about anxiety a lot <laughs> since I've been here. So this is a co-struggle that we're engaged in here. But how do you put up that no soliciting sign and say no to anxiety? Well, the main thing to see in this passage is that Paul is not calling us to think our way out of anxiety. Let me repeat that. 
Paul is not calling us to think our way out of anxiety. He is calling us to seek the peace of God which surpasses understanding. That's the command. It's an interesting text in Greek. In Greek, surpasses, that word surpasses is a present active participle. So most literal translation as a participle would be that the peace of God goes on surpassing or goes on being over and above. And then what does it surpass? He says, well, the understanding, the ESV says. In Greek, it's nous. It literally means the mind. We're seeking the peace of God which goes on surpassing all the mind can do. That's the idea. Or the peace of God which goes on being over and above all that the mind can do. And this peace that is over and above all that the mind can do, he says, shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And literally, again, there's another, I'm quibbling over Greek stuff here, but it's helpful. He says, literally in the Greek, that this peace that surpasses all that your mind can do shall guard your hearts and your thoughts, literally, in Christ Jesus. Or it's not your mind so much as what's in your mind. So this is important because most of us try to fix our problems and fix our anxieties with our minds by trying to think through things. We, we're always thinking about our worries and our anxieties. And Paul is saying the process is actually this. First, you need a peace that is over and above your mind. Then you need to let that peace affect what's in your mind and affect your thoughts. In other words, you can't worry your way to this peace that he's talking about. You can't think your way to this peace. It is something that doesn't come from your mind. It's over and above your mind. When I get in a room full of Presbyterians and start talking about this, we tend to, of all Christians, we think we can fix everything with our brains. If we just have right doctrine, if we just have right thoughts, if we have the right view of church history and theology, then everything should be fine. But the fact of the matter, it's not. Because people who have... Their doctrine all lined up, still end up facing anxiety and facing sadness and facing depression. This isn't an automatic fix based upon what you know. And this isn't just a Presbyterian problem. I mean, it's a problem of Western culture. Like the Christian philosopher James K. Smith says that Western Christianity has adopted the idea that you are what you think. And by doing this, he says, we've taken the view that human beings are basically brains on sticks. All that really matters, in other words, is the mind. The mind is supreme. And there are a lot of problems with that. Well, first, because your mind is sinful. Presbyterians believe in the doctrine of total depravity, yet they tend to think that they can trust their own minds as if sin hasn't affected our thinking, hasn't affected our brains, though it, it has. Our minds are sinful. Our minds can be unreliable at times. Our minds can actually be one of the major problems we're facing. My mind is usually the cause of my anxiety rather than the solution to my anxiety. My mind is full of arguments and shouting matches and worries. I, I, I mean, I tell my family sometimes, like, 
I wish I could just open up my brain and allow you to live this existence for just like a day and see if you could survive it. Because there's so much that goes on in the human brain. David Foster Wallace has a, has a short story called The Planet Trilophon as it stands in relation to the bad thing. What is the planet Trilophon as it stands in relation to the bad thing? Well, Trilophon was an antidepressant. The bad thing is depression. David Foster Wallace was a teacher, a university professor, and a writer, became famous for being a writer for his novels uh, as well as his nonfiction. But he struggled severely with depression. And he got on antidepressants, and the problem he found was he felt like when he was on antidepressants, he couldn't write as well. And so he, he just forced himself off of them, basically, and tried to power through for the sake of his art. And so the short story is about it. Now, let me, let me digress for just a second on this. Just so you can see how mind, mind works in relation to David Foster Wallace, David Foster Wallace did an interview with Charlie Rose years ago on PBS. And as I was preparing this message, I thought, I'm going to look up the interview David Foster Wallace did with Charlie Rose. I remember it being really interesting when David Foster Wallace talked about his anxiety. And so I pulled up that interview. It's on YouTube. <clears throat> when David Foster Wallace was about to take a year break from teaching just to focus on his writing. And so Charlie Rose asked him, well, you're taking a year off from teaching. What do you think that year will look like for you? And Wallace said, if past experience holds true, I'll spend an hour a day writing and eight hours a day biting my knuckle and worrying about not writing. Charlie Rose says, not worrying about what you're going to write, to which Wallace says, right, worrying about not writing. And then David Foster Wallace, just as an aside in the midst of this, worrying about not writing, he says, concatation. And I think on the YouTube, I actually put up the transcript on YouTube, and it gave a totally different word. And I, I thought, what does the word concatenation mean? I have no idea what that means. And so I, I Googled, define concatenation, and nothing matched it, and I think it gave me a definition for confrontation. And so I tried to spell it differently. I spelled it with a U, concutation. Now I tried concotation, and nothing worked again. So I went to trusty chat GPT, and I said, what does the English word concatenation mean? And it says, there is no English word concatenation. Then I, I spelled it a different way. There is no word spelled that way. After trying about five different spellings, I said, is there a word in the English language that is similar to the word concatenation that is actually a word? I probably spent 30 minutes doing this, like just on a rabbit trail because it's bugging me that I don't know what the word concatenation means. That's what I'm talking about, stepping inside my brain and trying to experience what it's like. And uh, what I found, let me find in my notes, he was probably referring to the word concatenation, which is, a, and David Foster Wallace was, Wallace was a math nerd. He studied mathematics in college and then ended up being a writer, but I don't know how that happened. But concatenation is a word used in mathematics and computer programming, meaning to link together in a series or chain. As in, David Foster Wallace was saying that his worries link together into a series or chain that leads to a constant process of worrying. That's how he described his life. I find myself having days like that. 
as in me, worrying about the meaning of the word concatenation, leads me into a, into a series or chain of thoughts and events that wastes a bunch of my time when I could have actually been doing something productive. Except it was productive because now I can use it as a sermon illustration. That's the bonus to being, being a preacher. All that. David Foster Wallace, this guy who spent an hour a day writing and eight hours a day worrying about the fact that he wasn't writing. In that story, Planet Trilophon, as it pertains to the bad thing, Wallace is describing a depressed warrior who is trying to fix himself. In the story, this is paraphrasing, but he says the major problem with worry and depression is that your mind is the thing that's messed up. And you're constantly trying to use your mind to fix your mind. So you're using your messed up mind to try to fix your messed up mind. It's like trying to use a screwdriver that's been broken to unscrew a screw that's totally stripped out. Like it's, it's pointless. It's, it's futile. It's just going to lead to frustration and aggravation. You need something else other than that broken instrument in order to fix this broken instrument. So this is where I remind you, one of my favorite sayings now, you are not your thoughts. You are the person who listens to your thoughts. And you can choose to listen to your thoughts or choose not to listen to your thoughts. David Foster Wallace, you start saying, I need to be writing. I'm a terrible person. I'm supposed to be a writer. It's what I do for a living. I'm not writing. Concatenation or concatenation or whatever it is. You can choose to sit there and listen to yourself, browbeat you, or you can say, I'd rather think about something else. I'd rather, I'd rather listen to something else. You are the person who listens to your thoughts. You can choose to listen to your thoughts, or you can choose not to listen to your thoughts. You are not a brain on a stick. You have agency. You're, you're a complicated being. You're made in the image of God, though that image has been marred by sin. You are a body and a soul. You are subject to physical chemistry. You are subject to moods. You are subject to incorrect thinking. We are so complicated. I mean, human beings are more complicated than a planet ecosystem in some ways. But Paul is saying, in the midst of all this complication and this worry and this anxiety, what Christ has made available to you is the peace of God that goes over and above our minds. The peace of God that goes over and above our minds and can guard our hearts and our thinking as we receive it. So it affects the way we think. It's, this is something that comes from God when you are in Christ. It's something that surpasses or is over and above the mind. And it's a gift that God gives. But don't think that because it's a gift that that means we can't do anything about it. This, you know, I like to say the John Piper quote. He said, grace is opposed to earning, not to effort. Paul said, God's grace to me was not in vain. It's because of God's grace I worked harder than any of them. And Paul is telling us we can receive this gift of the peace of God through a very simple process, very simple process. I didn't say very easy process, but very simple. And it starts with prayer. So back to our passage, verse 6. 
Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. The word Paul uses for prayer, it's a common word for prayer in the New Testament, but it's pros uke. The prefix pros means toward. This type of prayer is you stretching toward God. It is you orienting yourself toward God. This is how Martin Lloyd-Jones describes it. He says, Paul differentiates between prayer and supplication and thanksgiving. What does he mean by prayer? This is the most general term, and it means worship and adoration. If you have problems, if you are liable to become anxious, do not rush to God with your petition. Before you make your request known to God, pray, worship, and adore. Come into the presence of God, and for the time being, forget your problems. Do not start with them. Just realize that you are face-to-face with God. You come into the presence of God, and you realize that presence, and you recollect that presence. He's saying the most important thing you can do is orient yourself this is when you're anxious, to the presence of God, reminding yourself that he's with you, reminding yourself that you're before his face, that communion with Almighty God is offered to you here and now, anytime. You can draw into his presence. Now, there's an old saying that worry is a form of prayer because when we worry, we're oriented orienting ourselves toward our problems. Our pro- when we orient ourselves toward our problems, our problems are what is most real. And over and over again, you know, the psalmist, Psalm 17, he says, I've set the Lord always before me because he's at right, my right hand. I shall not be shaken. What does that mean, I've set the Lord always before me? It means he's orienting, orienting himself toward the presence and reality of God more than he's orienting himself toward his problems and his anxiety. He's allowing God to be more real to his heart than his problems are to his heart. And so Lloyd-Jones says, Paul is calling us, God is calling us to acknowledge that we are in the presence of God and open ourselves up to that presence. And Lloyd-Jones says, it's only after you are conscious of the presence of God and worshiping him that you should even begin to lay out your petitions and make your requests. This process starts with worship. And it's that worship, it's being in God's presence that actually starts to change the way that we think. One more reference here. The Puritan Richard Baxter preached a sermon that became a book called The Cure of Melancholy and Overmuch Sorrow by Faith. Great sermon title, The Cure of Melancholy and Overmuch Sorrow by Faith. It was based on 2 Corinthians 2 7, where Paul is talking about the process of church discipline and a member who sinned and is of the church who sinned and been rebuked for his sins. Paul says, So you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him, or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. Or the King James says, Overmuch sorrow. In that sermon, Baxter gives practical advice for people who struggle with melancholy and with deep sorrow. 
And these are a few of my favorite quotes from the sermon. He says, Be careful about complaining. Complaining about your problems feeds your problems. Next, he says, Especially when you pray, resolve to spend most of your time in thanksgiving and praising God. If you cannot do that with the joy that you ought, do it the best that you can. So he says, look at a chart of what your prayer time looks like. The vast majority of it should simply be worship and praise. Finally, Richard Baxter, and again, Richard Baxter was a thinker. He was a thinker's thinker. And for people who were struggling with their emotions and with melancholy, he said, avoid your musings and exercise not your thoughts too deeply, nor too much. Long meditation is a duty to some, but not to you. No more than it is a man's duty to go to church when he has his leg broken or his foot out of joint. He must rest and ease it till it be set again and strengthened. So he's saying, you can have the impression, especially, we'll say as a Presbyterian, again, I'm not picking on us just as Presbyterians, but saying, you know, so much of my Christian education, my being discipled, my learning about the faith was, you were to be constantly thinking, constantly reading scripture, constantly reading commentaries, constantly reading theology, and constantly thinking about all of those things. And I always go back to the G.K. Chesterton quote, which gave me a great rebuke on that. He said, if you try to get the heavens into your head, your head will split. It's not big enough to hold it. You need to take some time to get your head into the heavens. And that means to experience worship, to experience awe and wonder. And we should really be spending much more time experiencing awe and wonder than we are simply meditating and musing. Baxter says... You know, if you're prone to deep musings and prolonged thought and that causes you melancholy and it causes you sorrow and it causes you anxiety, you may need to turn your brain off at times. You need to deflect your, may need to deflect your attention to something else that isn't so deep and weighty. You, you've got to choose which thoughts you're going to listen to and learn how to direct your thoughts in different ways. But again, back to what Paul is saying here. He's saying the primary way you actually do this is through prayer. And so I think, I haven't decided 100% on this yet, but I think my next Sunday evening ser- uh, series is going to be on prayer. And I'm going to share, I'm going to steal my own thunder if that ends up being the case and tell you one of the most important things I've learned about prayer in the last two to three years that has been a, an absolute game changer for me is this. I remember when I went to seminary particularly in Greek class, the professor would always call on a student to pray. And it became like a holier-than-thou-who-can-pray-the-longest-and-most-eloquently contest. And that bothered me, but I I went along with it and, and decided I have to be this great extemporaneous prayer who can pray these eloquent prayers off the cuff, Right on the street, somebody asked me to pray. I should be able to, you know, spout out something like, you know, one of the great psalms. And I wearied myself with prayer. Prayer became a source of anxiety 
and worry for me because I never thought I was good enough at it. If I was thinking that way, I'm, I'd still be thinking I'm not good enough at it. And then I started thinking deeply about prayer a couple years ago, and I started analyzing, of course, analyzing, um, concatating some of the great prayers of the Bible. And it was actually very encouraging to me because I took out my phone, my stopwatch on there, and I opened up to the 23rd Psalm, and I started reading it. You know how long it took me to read the 23rd Psalm? 35 seconds, maybe. Was that the greatest prayer ever prayed? It's up there. 35 seconds. The Lord's Prayer, you've got to say it's better because Jesus, it came out of Jesus' lips, right? How long does it take to pray the Lord's Prayer? About 35 seconds. And we all have it, we all have it memorized. And, I, and what I realized from that was that I don't have to put on a show with God in prayer. I don't have to prove how righteous and thoughtful and well-read I am when I come to God in prayer. A simple prayer like the Lord's my shepherd I will not want is more than enough for God to use it to give you his peace that goes over and above your mind. A simple prayer, again, I encourage you to have something that's yours. Mine is what's called the Jesus, it's been called in church history the Jesus Prayer. You will find me simply praying over and over throughout the day, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, a sinner. And I cannot tell you how many times God has used that simple phrase to give me peace. You know, how, how does that work? Well, it's simple. Because I know when I say that, I'm basically saying everything that I've said in the sermon, and that is, God, I'm, as a sinner who's redeemed by Jesus Christ, I am opening myself up to your presence. I'm laying prostrate before you, acknowledging that I am face-to-face with the living God. And I want to be open to living in your presence more so than I'm open just to living in my worries and my anxieties. And you find ways to make this a habit so that, A, you're doing it throughout the day so that you can open yourself up to the presence of God, but B, also so that when you find yourself in a crisis... And you have a legitimate reason to be anxious. It's not just you're lost in your thoughts. You know, something terrible happens. What do you do in that moment? You use whatever prayer it is that's become ingrained in you to remind yourself that you're in the presence of God. For me, it's, I say, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, a sinner. And it snaps me back into reality and reminds me. God is more real than your circumstances. You are just as much in the presence of God as you are in the presence of your circumstances. And it opens you up to him ministering to you with this peace that surpasses understanding. And when you open yourself up to this peace which surpasses understanding, God can keep his promise when he says that this peace of God will guard your heart and it will guard your thoughts. Because now you're not trying to fix your messed up brain with your messed up brain. Or your messed up situation with your messed up brain. You're actually allowing God to come in and minister and do what only he can do. So remember the idea of saying no soliciting to your anxieties. The best way to do that is have practical practices of prayer in your life. 
in which you remind yourself that you are in the presence of God. Even this night, Jesus says to us, he says to you, I will never leave you or forsake you. He says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Yeah, you believe Jesus died for your sins. Do you believe that he actually means it when he says, I will give you my peace? Not as the world gives do I give to you. Like This isn't just pop psychology. This isn't you fixing your mind with your mind. This is a gift from Jesus Christ. He says, not as the world gives to you do I give. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. You need to hear him saying, my peace I leave with you. More than you hear yourself ruminating on your troubles. You can trust what he says more than you can trust your mind. Listen to him more than you listen to your own thoughts. Again, just an aside as we close. I encourage y'all to read the Bible regularly. And that's what a minister is supposed to do, right? But you know what I found over the, again, going back to those early days of me as a Christian, it was you read the Bible because that's what you were supposed to do, and you weren't a good Christian if you didn't do that. And what I found over the years, as I've actually made it a practice of reading the Bible, is <laughs> that's not like, it's not like God has some rule book and says you must read the Bible this many times a year or this many times in a lifetime. What it is, is you read that book, you read the scriptures over and over again, and you fill up your mind with the thoughts of Christ so that you have something that can drown out your own thoughts. Something that's actually reliable that can drown out your own thoughts. So you orient yourself toward God's word and toward the presence of Christ habitually. And Paul promises, God promises, that the peace that surpasses understanding will guard your hearts and your thoughts in Christ Jesus. Let us pray. Father, you command us to cast our burdens upon you because you care for us. Jesus says, Come unto me, all ye who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus says that he offers us his peace and that we shouldn't worry or be afraid. Yet, Father, we are frail sinners, and we are not only prone to wonder, we are prone to worry. And so we pray that as we sing of the blessed assurance that Jesus is ours, that we'd have a sense in our hearts that this is actually true, that we have this assurance, uh, that we would orient our hearts and our minds toward that assurance, and that you would use that orientation in our lives to minister to us and grant us your peace, which goes over and above our minds. For we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand together and sing hymn 693, Blessed Assurance.
Now grace, mercy, and peace be with you all. From God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.